This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, episode 22. You're, you're kidding yourself if you don't think that the practical experience um, isn't where the art of coaching begins. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Art of Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength and Conditioning Coach Scott Caulfield. With me today on the show, Joel Rather, Director of Sports Performance at Authentic Performance and Head of Sports Performance for the Colorado Mammoth of the National Lacrosse League. Joel, thanks for being on today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great. Good Looking forward to speaking with you. Again, we've crossed paths a number of times now that we're both in Colorado here. And, uh, and we are set up shop here in University of Denver, um, right next to the weight room. So if there's any bangs or noises in behind us, uh, it's probably just the weight room right behind the other side of the door here. So everyone listening can just stay tuned for that. Um, so I'd like to lead in with some kind of fun questions, a little bit different than some of the other uh, podcast might be, but let's say you're tasked with a new building a new program. You've got a limited budget. You can only choose a few items. I'm just going to say three, just for the sake of argument. W- what would you start with? Well, uh, oddly enough, uh, walking back into here, I have some familiarity. I spent quite a few years at the University of Denver. Um, some great years here, and obviously the growth of the program is speaks for itself. And so, uh, when we went through our process with uh, our old strength conditioning facility, we were pretty strapped in terms of space and size. And so um, we had to be creative, uh, which at the end of the day, I think also made me a better coach at the time. And so for me, um, when I look at how am I going to build a program, how am I going to look at maybe being strapped in terms of budgetary things for me, open space is a premium. Um, if I have open space, I can do a lot of things. And so not inundating a room regardless of size with um, too many pieces of equipment and things like that that may restrict your capability to move within the room um, to me is is that that's my ultimate kind of number one Um, if i didn't have a huge budget i want to look at things that that are going to be cost effective that i can get a lot of bang for my buck Um, i'm a big fan of a lot of med ball work um, so i'm gonna make sure that we're well equipped and from that regard we can do strength we can do power we can use them for resistance and a lot of different things so um, that would be one Uh, and then the variation of a lot of bands i mean we we utilize a lot of different uh, bands whether that's from uh, functional based perspectives whether that's strength or stability based rotation anti-rotation those types of things Uh, i really like to utilize some of those as kind of foundational pieces that uh, we can build out a lot from there and so uh, not necessarily my top three but those are the first three that probably come to mind Uh, outside of that i think that there, there's, you know, you can start filling your room in a lot of different ways once you expand from there in terms of what's available today and the amount of advances we've made in, in equipment and bells and whistles and things like that. You can uh, you can spend a lot of money fast. For sure, for sure. And I agree with you a million percent on the open space uh, item, especially as we were just talking about the NSCA renovation and the biggest thing that we went for right. with that was more open space and people have been like, wow, did you guys expand the building? And no, it's just a utilizing the space that's fullest capability makes right. your options even that much better so right. that's really, really cool um all right so this is a this is kind of one of my favorite questions and i love to hear what coaches uh, think about this but if you had a magic wand you could eliminate 
any current coaching practice that's out there, what would it be? Um, I, I had to think about that one a little bit when you sent it. And uh, I really feel like we've come to a point where within everything, you know, not just strength conditioning based, but our availability to information is so high. Our availability to uh, find things in such short order, whether that's via social media, the internet and those types of things. And we've become so sensitive to things in and around us, whether that's personally or professionally. And so I feel like the the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, I believe, is, is a big one in my mind where you see so many guys that are focused and, and constantly trying to keep a, a barometer on what everyone else is doing, um, looking whether it's on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram and these things. And, and you know, it, it becomes kind of siphoning out certain things within, you know, the, the old Bruce Lee saying, you know, you know, resist that which is not and use that which is useful. And, and to me, I think that guys, there can be pitfalls within that. And so I think that uh, you have to, it's okay to look at those things, but at the same time, I feel like it's necessary for you to determine like what's most appropriate for you, what's most appropriate for the people that you work with. And um, there's a lot of ways to get the job done. And, you know, having bigger and nicer and more things or technology or whatever that may be, uh, may not be within your capability. And, and I think some guys sometimes feel like, you know, am I keeping up with, with everybody else? Am I, you know, am I doing the best service and, and, you know, I can't afford this. So does that mean I'm falling behind or not giving, you know, my athletes um, everything I should? And, and to me, I usually say, you know, if you get caught up in that mentality, you can end up chasing a lot and, you know, going back to principles and determining, you know, what can I do within what I have and how can I be creative within that programming to still accomplish the things I need so that my athletes get the best. Yeah, that's great. So what you kind of are talking about it, but what, so what are some kind of roadblocks or things that you need to watch out for then as a strength and conditioning mm-hmm. coach? Well, um, in terms of, of roadblocks, um, again, I feel like uh, you have to look at what you have available. Um, I, I think that uh, continuing to uh, better and advance yourself professionally is, is a huge piece. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a substitute for that. Uh, I see a lot of young coaches that um, come into the industry and feel like, you know, hey, I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to get into this thing and, and just start, you know, getting at it. And I, I still think that um, there has to be a process and there has to be experience and there has to be uh, the capability for you to advance continually and um, wanting to get, you know, clear out to step B, C, D, and E, you know, when you haven't really, uh, you know, started. Uh, I, I think that that a lot of times goes back to my previous saying, right? Like getting ahead of yourself. And so um, staying in your lane a little bit, I think is important um, early on in your career and then continuing to, you know, want to expand your your knowledge base and expand your networks and things like that, I think really help you um, not, you know, jump into pitfalls that, that put you out of your lane or, or put you, you know, overextended and not being able to produce, you know, at your capability. Cool. Are there, so then are there some, is there a certain, um, path that you would say that all right look uh, if you want to be professional if you want to be a professional strength coach um, or even you know you with your experience maybe you could talk about a couple different scenarios Um, you've been in college you've been a professional you've been in private sector Um, is there any are there some kind of fundamental things that cross all of those that if i'm an intern listening to this podcast i must do to get to these positions and then are there some 
separators that will take you to the next level. Right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I believe that you have to start with understanding that you need to get in a position where there are good mentors around you. And um, to me, that's where, you know, that's where my path started. And, and that's where I think when you talk to a lot of coaches who have moved through, whether it's, you know, high school, college, and, and lucky enough maybe to be in a professional setting, is most of them are going to tell you they got into a setting where they had good mentors. They found people that helped lead them down a path that, that's going to continue to help them grow, that's going to give them a, a learning-rich environment. Um, to me, I think that you can't just jump out on an island and think that you're going to you know, manifest things on your own. You have to have good people that are going to um, give you some guidance, that are going to give you good experience, that's going to put you in the room that allows you to um, see things um, develop a level of critical thinking that allows you to take what you've learned from a classroom setting and start to gradually put that into place in a practical setting. Uh, and, and that that is nothing more than a time variable in my mind. And if you, if you, there's no way to speed that process up, I don't think. Uh, and again, I think with where we are today, so many people want to jump through those steps. And the reality of it is that uh, if you get into a good setting with good mentors who are going to help you start to progress, develop a level, a level of critical thinking, and then um, slowly start to, you know, develop your own, um, you know, way of, of applying those principles. And, and if it's your own style or whatever, um, that you have to continue growing from that, but uh, it can't happen in reverse in my mind. I definitely agree. Everybody wants, to, especially in today's day and age, want the magic pill, the magic bullet, right. magic, uh, call up to the big league. So I uh, talked about mentors. So who've been some of the people that, you know, most have influenced your career and mentored you as you were coming up? Sure. Um, I, I started at a small division two school. Um, John Larson, who was the head strength coach there is uh, still one of my, one of my big mentors. He's a guy that uh, spent 20 plus years in that setting. Phenomenal strength coach. Uh, you're not going to see him out presenting all over the country, but uh, lived and breathed by you know sound principles and good programming and building relationships and gaining trust in athletes and and fostering an environment where uh, there's continual growth that's going to be there. And at the same time, uh, kind of in that same setting was uh, Mike Sanders, who was fortunate enough to, to work with Mike, uh, to work under Mike actually here at the University of Denver for quite a few years, who's now in, in special operations. Um, Mike was one of the best I've ever seen in, in programming. And, uh, and so I, I was able to learn under guys like that. As I progressed and, and move on, I mean, I've been fortunate enough that uh, a lot of folks that have opened doors for me and, and created opportunities for me and, and really met guys through, you know, being at conferences and things like that, which I think is always a big kind of uh, to do list for me every time I get out is to try and continue expanding that network. Um, guys like uh, Mark Rosen and, and Rob Rogers and, and, you know, that I can go down a, a ton of list of guys that uh, luckily I can call friends and colleagues now that uh, I've learned so much from over the years that, uh, again, have molded and, and created, you know, really the path of where I am today. So. Yeah, that's great. And, and uh, very familiar names, guys, uh, too, that I met when I was first kind of getting involved with the NSCA. Um, what's what's kind of the best piece of coaching advice or advice in general that some any one of those coaches gave you when you were kind of just getting started? 
you're going to make mistakes <laughs> and, and you know learning from mistakes is the biggest thing you know, how, how are you going to go through this process and continue to take what you know and, and what you've learned and start working on that in your programming working that in, in your coaching style um, I think that a lot of the work that I've seen you know, from like Nick Winkleman for example and what we talk about today with how do you cue athletes and, and things of that manner and so for me it's a continual kind of uh, evolution of those things um, that uh, you know really starts to, to help you become a better coach and so I think uh, learning from mistakes is a, is a big one for me I mean because as much as I'd love to think I don't make them today I'm sure I still make plenty of them for sure oh my gosh yeah every 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 hour yeah. <laughs> um, how about you know like I said those uh, some of those first guys that you kind of got involved with and you you worked at NSCA headquarters back in the day as well uh, what was how's the NSCA and your involvement with that kind of been you know how'd you get involved or first hear about it and then kind of what was your continual involvement with it up right. till now right well Oddly enough for me, it started as an undergrad. Um, I was fortunate enough that uh, Jose Antonio was one of our program directors, um, which goes back a long ways. Um, he was the first one that, that kind of put me on path to get published for the first time uh, as a young, kind of maybe uh, naive and uh, unknowing <laughs> college student. I had no idea really uh, what that meant at the time. and so. He was, he was fantastic in getting us involved and introducing me to the NSCA. I uh, went to my first national conference and uh, took, took CSCS in uh, Kansas City, which would have been probably back in the late 90s or something like that. And, and so for me, it was such an eye opener. Uh, number one, to have someone who kind of guided me through the uh, the publication process. You know, I had no clue what I was doing and, and uh, he kind of helped Hold, hold my hand and lead me into that and uh, and then introducing me to the NSCA and from there uh, it, it became kind of a constant progression right which was um, realizing that uh, there was so much more out there and that the the foundation of what had started with um, with the NSCA uh, within the membership within certification uh, where the CSCS was headed at that time in terms of um, you know really becoming the gold standard and what we consider you know to be the the, uh, the competency level within our profession um, and, and gradually growing from there into speaking and you know getting into whether it was a, a state conference type thing and getting up in front of people and and then you, you just kind of continue adding and, and putting layers onto that to where uh, after being in the, the college setting for almost 10 years being uh, you know having the opportunity to actually work there for which which for me was uh, was a great opportunity i mean again it opened so many doors and and uh, introduced me to so many people that uh, like i said i'm fortunate enough to to work with and, and have within my network today no that's great i the national conference was the first one that i ever went to too and just met some of the people that we both know and they kind of were like hey come hang out with us after the, you know after the day is over and and then just right. made you want to be more involved with the group with the organization it's cool right. um you talked about writing uh, this is kind of an i like this topic for strength and conditioning coaches because i think it's important i know you've written a lot you've been published a bunch in, in different journals um, what recommendations do you have for some for coaches who um, are interested in it but maybe are afraid maybe not afraid but just 
Right. Don't want it. Haven't gone down that route. Are there some suggestions you have? Right. Uh, is, it, is it harder than it really looks or you think it to be <laughs> or not? Is yeah. it actually that hard? Right. Right. Well, uh, I think that, yes, it, it does have uh, a level of, I think for a first time for someone who hasn't published, uh, there is maybe a little bit of a, a stigma about it as if it's uh, it's a really, you know, a, a big accomplishment. And at the same time, I think that it is. Uh, I think that if you are going to go that route and, and you have interest in that, um, you have to be accepting of the fact that people are going to scrutinize, people are going to evaluate, people are going to look at those things and compare and contrast or um, even dissect some of the things that, that you put out there. And so I really think that, number one, you have to hold yourself at a high enough regard to understand that if you're going to uh, put yourself into a journal uh, or, or submit something of that, that uh, I've been on the editorial side of it. I've seen some of the things that people um, send in and, and uh, there are people that have amazing amounts of, of thoroughness with with their research or with their uh, their background information to support the things that they're trying to uh, put on paper um, I think that there's definitely a it's like with anything else you know if you're teaching a power clean you don't just grab the bar someday and pick it up you're like oh yeah I got it uh, you know it, it requires work it requires um, getting better at the craft of writing in itself and I think that uh, for me, like I said, lucky enough, uh, I started before I really knew what I was getting myself into. And, and as you continue to do more of it, you get better at it. And, and I also think that if you are going to go down that route, you know, stick your nose into publications and, and see how people write and see the delivery of things and gain an understanding of those will help you kind of, of put yourself in a better position to produce things that, uh, number one, obviously people will want to read, um, but at the same time, the, the quality of what you put out there will also, also should show through with that too. Yeah, I think that's such a great point about it being just like anything else, right? We don't go in and squat 400 the first day. Yeah, it's a gradual process. You get better at it. I just think there's two, there's so many opportunities for coaches to have an opportunity to write now with Right. TSAC report, NSCA coach, SCJ, JSCR, depending on, like, like you said, you know, where your level of writing is at, how much time you want to spend on it, how right. in depth you want to get. There's just so much opportunity for coaches to get involved. Uh, yeah. It's one of the great things about it. Um, kind of going back to, you know, getting involved um, with the NSCA and with other professionals. How do you how do you network and how do you build your network? So again, you know, talking you know more to kind of younger coaches or up and coming, or you know maybe you have some other tips too that um, are helpful. But how do you do that if you're if you're kind of just starting out? Sure. Well, to me, I think that there's a lot of ways today. Obviously, we we have so much more reach right at right at our fingertips, and uh, I hear of coaches all the time now that reach out to people via social media. Um, they'll, they'll message somebody and say, hey, I read this that you put out or I saw something that you, um, you know, you posted the other day. And, and you, you'd be surprised. I feel like there's so many really inviting coaches that, that if they're willing to put things out, if they're willing to publish stuff, if they're willing to show things that they do, they're also really willing to share um, in, in terms of whether it's 
giving you more information on something, um, you know, calling you back or, or sending an email, things like that. And, and to me, I, I take pride in some of those things. I think that it's important to, to share with folks. I always tell people I don't feel like I've ever invented anything in this field and that everything that I do is I've picked up or learned or evolved out of something that, that I found somewhere else, uh, whether that's in a textbook or from another coach. And so um, to me, uh, reaching out to guys and, and asking them as long as your your intentions are true uh, I think most of them will be uh, receptive to to you know interacting with you um, as long as you know you're not asking too much of their time I think that that's another piece uh, for me as a goal when I go out to conferences and speak and things like that I always try and make it a point that I, you know, I want to find and in my time there, find someone else that uh, I don't know or someone that, uh, you know, I may have seen somewhere, you know, through my networks that I'm like, hey, I want to I want to meet that guy and I want to talk to him or a girl or whatever and uh, introduce yourself and, and try to always use those uh, those events or those opportunities to continue to expand every time that you, you put yourself in those environments, because I think that that's how you, uh, you your network expands over your career. And, and if you if you go there and just you know, sit in a chair and listen to presentations for three days and walk out and didn't meet anybody, you may gain something, but at the same time, your, your network isn't going to expand at all. Yeah, that's such a great point. I, there's been so many people that I've met in, in the past three, four years that we were able to connect on social media that just we probably wouldn't have ever connected before. It's been a great, great method. And I personally, I mean, I use like Twitter more to read about stuff right. you know to find information than i do as any other means so right. i'm not i'm not a uh, i'm not putting out anything <laughs> very worthwhile on twitter i'm using it to, to find Neither. information <laughs> um all right you know you've been doing this for a while you've, you've had a good you know long career in terms of strength conditioning how do you how do you keep fresh and keep your longevity how do you maintain work-life balance in this profession that's a that that's a, a good one uh, I, I feel like I have seasonal periods within my year that are pretty demanding um, it, with travel with uh, things like combine prep and and uh, speaking and um, some of the other things that, that we we always have going on and so uh, I think that you have to make sure that you plan I, I think you have to to try and forecast the best that you can in order to try and find some balance um, I, I try I've gotten to a point now where I try and target specific times within the year that I can can decompress a little bit um, it, it's a difficult task because our job is demanding you know i can tell stories of driving home you know christmas day in order to train basketball teams and things like that and and those don't always jive very well on the personal side and so um you have to make time for those in order for uh, both sides of your life to, to have some balance um and it is difficult i think you you have to keep a, a focus on that at, at all times and and there's times that that you're gonna realize that there's necessary evils and and you kind of kind of Maybe I hate to use the word grind because I think that's overused today. Um, to me, I don't think that if, if I get up every day and think of it as a grind, then uh, I usually also could put myself in a mentality that doesn't allow me to operate optimally either. So, point. so what, uh, what kind of things are you doing to uh, get, uh, get away from the profession? <laughs> what do you do? What do you enjoy doing your time off? Um, I, I enjoy the outdoors. Uh, for me, I, I don't get to, to ski as much as I used to, unfortunately. Um, I, I've kind of spent my whole life doing that, but uh, we we get out, we hike, um, 
do do a lot of uh, outdoor activities and things like that in the summer which is nice um hunt fish things like that when i have the opportunities to and um and when i'm able to i like to travel um, even though i do a lot of traveling it's, it's fun to uh, to go other places i enjoy getting uh, you know to see new things and, and uh, so if i can that's what i try and spend my time doing uh when i have the opportunity to do it <laughs> It's huge. To, if you if you live in Colorado and you don't like the outdoors, then right. you're probably in the wrong place. Right, <laughs> right. It's the best best place I've ever lived. So I've been, really enjoyed it. Um, how about? Can you think of anything that you've kind of really come to understand more deeply over your career within strength and conditioning? Um, let's see. Uh, I think. Um, you know, for me, it, it really comes down to some different things. Um, I, I realize that uh, working on balance is a big part. Um, if you run and run and run and run, uh, you have to learn where your limits are. Um, I think one of the things that I've learned over time is I have to become better at, at delegating. Um, I mentioned it earlier in terms of, of your network. Um, I've I've always been really bad at saying no. I've always been really bad at at um, you know saying that yeah I can do this and I can do that and I can take on this and and so as I've gotten into where I currently am, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is becoming better at delegating, becoming better at, at um, you know finding good people that are gonna you know kind of pull the rope in the same direction and, and help um, help me to to execute at times where I know I can't do it alone. And uh, so I think that probably for me, my biggest bit of growth over the last few years has been getting better at that and, and asking and realizing that, uh, you know, if I, if I continue to try and take on more and, and do more and do it by myself, that I'm going to suffer in a lot of other ways. And, and at the end of the day, it's going to start negatively impacting my effectiveness as a coach and, and, you know, within the business or whatever that may be, or at home. And so uh, I've, I've tried to trying to get better at that all the time. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's a continual process of improving. And a lot of the times it's, I think too, is being able to figure out what you can utilize other people, whether it's your staff or whoever that, that, kind of pick up the maybe the pieces that you aren't so great at or you don't want to be great at right and they can help fill that round that out for you out yeah. um we talked about this a little bit before the we started recording but what do you think the biggest challenge is in our profession right now and you know kind of a second part if if the nsa could help with that what what is it right um it, that that to me is a is a really i mean there's a broad stroke uh, I, I think that when I look and when I've had this conversation with other coaches, I think there's some perspective of where our profession has, has grown to, um, which is, you know, from this, you know, strength conditioning kind of foundational perspective of, of what we know scientifically and how do we develop, you know, good programming for whoever it might be and, and those types of things into um, now where the NSCA has done a good job leading the charge in uh, making sure that we have some minimum standards within, you know, the NCAA and, and hopefully that continues to expand further. Um, I know that there's, there's some things that have also been established at some of the professional levels that are connected back to, to the NSCA. And, and so for me, I think that I look at the athletic training field as a little bit of, uh, um, 
you know, there's an assimilation there where we know that, you know, you can't walk into an athletic training room and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to start treating people today. And, and there, there's a standard that has, um, been established across the board within the industry that says, these are what you, you need to, to attain in order to become a professional in this field. And then at the same time, what does that mean in terms of how that matches up monetarily? And so I think there's a huge discrepancy within our field as you look across the board in terms of where we are today and where that discrepancy lies. You see such, uh, you know, far ends of the spectrum where you, you see guys making some extremely good money and you can, you know, travel down the road a couple hundred miles at another school and someone's making not even a fraction of that same money. And so I think to me, if from an NSCA perspective, we have to keep leading the charge as, you know, the, the leading authority within the field. And how are we going to continue to work to um, solidify that so that we see strength conditioning professionals come into this field and have the ability to earn good, you know, good wages and, and be able to retire as strength conditioning coaches, which I feel like we're seeing more of. But, you know, I, I used to talk with some some of the guys within uh, you know the field who would say 10 15 years ago that was always kind of a, a point where guys say how many guys you see re- retire from our industry and to me I think that's a huge piece that we have to continue working at and bolstering up so that we we gain a level of understanding of what the value of these people are and, and their expertise and how much they influence what happens day to day at the high school level at the college level and at the professional level no, I think you you definitely um, um, a really good point there about the differences, and I think it's becoming more. Um, there's more awareness now, right. right, than than ever before about the profession. I mean, a lot of these strength and conditioning coaches, especially if you're in the SEC football, you are in the limelight no right. matter what. Um, and it's interesting that you know, the, like you mentioned, a couple of professional organizations, Major League Baseball. Um, now has it written in the collective bargaining agreement right. that requires certain NSCSCS certification and the RSCC de- designation. The NBA uh, also just got CSCS written in the collective bargaining agreement. So hopefully it's gonna right. have a trickle down effect, right? People right. are gonna see these higher levels and then say, oh wow, okay, right. we need to. But uh, yeah, I agree, it's it's definitely the, the need for it. I mean, I was at the barbershop the other day and. He was talking about the new guy that they just hired, and you know, as soon as the guy had to pass had to pass his license first before they could hire him, and I was right. like, "Wow, Barber has to have a license." <laughs> right. Uh, pretty right. interesting, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've had lots of those conversations, and I think that that's, you know, it, it, it is it is an evolution of, of where we are. I think we have come a long ways, and like you said, I think the value is being is being seen. Um, and the connectivity, I think, has to go all the way up to, to the highest levels within organizations or schools and those types of things where administratively is where it happens. You know, and, and that's that's the biggest piece there is what is what is the value of that person? You know, you look at college strength and conditioning coaches in the course of a year may spend more time with those athletes than some of the coaching staff themselves. And so to me, I think the, the those have to start matching up. And as they do, um, it will continue to solidify our, us as professionals and, and uh, longevity of, of coaches within our profession. For sure. Yeah. And you already alluded to it, too. I mean, I think the NSCA is coming up on its 40th anniversary this summer. I mean, this profession is very, very young. 
yeah. students is this, you know, other professions, athletic training have gone through these uh, right. growth pains, whatever you want to call it, you yeah. know, as a profession to become more professionalized, but it's definitely, I think it's definitely seeing the points where it is growing now and, and right. becoming more professionalized for sure across all different levels, which is exciting. Um, cool. I've got some kind of my uh, million dollar questions here, but uh, <laughs> you know, how, you know, someone's listening out there, they're kind of in whatever setting, but they want to know, man, I want to train pro lacrosse players. How do you become a professional strength and conditioning coach? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, I think it goes back to the, the path, right? Which is starting at a place where you're, you're going to get good experience. Uh, being in the room. I think that there's there's no substitute for that. Having good mentors where they're going to help um, develop and, and foster um, a, a learning-rich environment. Uh, you have to put in the time. I think there, there again, there's no substitute for that. Um, if you don't, I, I believe that uh, you're, you're kidding yourself if you don't think that the practical experience um, isn't where the art of coaching begins. And, and so for me, I think you really, you have to start there. Um, and unfortunately at a young age or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, you've got to be willing to be mobile. Um, I think that, uh, there's only so many jobs in, in so many places when you get to the professional level. And so, um, it does have uh, a, a lot of sacrifice that has to come with that. You have to be willing to potentially, you know, move to Tulsa, Oklahoma to start at uh, the double A or single A level or whatever that may be, um, in, in order to earn your way and kind of, you know, earn your stripes, so to speak, as you move up through that. And, um, there's very few guys that you'll talk to that, uh, went from, you know, college and like, oh, hey, guess what? You're the head strength coach of, uh, you know, the New York Giants tomorrow. Like, um, it, it requires a continual kind of focus in terms of improvement and, and making sure that whether that's through improving your network, whether that's through, uh, you know, getting in and expanding your, your knowledge base, um, making sure that you're spending time in the room and a continual growth mindset has to be your, your mission. And, and then, yeah, you, hopefully you, you find some good fortune through people that you're lucky enough to consider, you know, friends and colleagues within there. And, and uh, those to me, I think, is what helps open potentially some of those doors where um, that opportunity may come. But uh, it, it takes quite a while. I mean, you know, look at take Joe Ken's a great example. You know, how many years Joe was um, at the collegiate level and now obviously with with Carolina and the things that uh, that he's done and, um, you know, it takes a lot of a lot of years, a lot of time, a lot of a lot of investment to become an overnight success. Yeah. Right? That's what most people don't see. Yeah. Yeah. So okay then this is a good one to play off that. What's what are some of the uh, myths or misconceptions about being a pro strength and conditioning coach? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good one. I saw that. I thought I thought that was uh, that was good. Uh, let me see. Uh, to me, I think that uh, some people assume it's it's the best job in the world, uh, and and I think that although yes, uh, reaching that point has has a lot of benefit. Um, you have to understand it's very demanding. You talked about that work life balance. Um, it may require a lot of lot of long tough hours. Um, it requires you to to make a ton of, of sacrifices. You you're going to have to travel a lot. You're going to have to be available a lot. Um, you know 
they, I think a lot of misconceptions that people assume is, well, you work with pro athletes. They're the, they're the easiest guys and the best guys to work with. And, and although that may have some truths, I usually say that as you continue to work up to those level of guys, you find that, that uh, those guys make it there because they, they find a way to get the job done. They find a way to continue to improve their craft, but they're not perfect. They're, there's still a lot of things that um, they have to work on, and your job is to try and find some of those chinks in their armor to develop relationships. And, and to me, that's the biggest challenge with being at that level because they've gone through a, a continuum of potentially high school coaches, potentially private sector coaches, potentially college coaches, maybe other teams that they've worked with. And everybody is willing to help them. Everybody's willing to, you know, give them advice or, um, you know, provide them with this, that, or the other thing. And so you have to be able to be very good at developing relationships and gaining some trust so that the things that you can see they need, they're receptive and willing to actually, um, to do them and like I said um, that's not always the easiest thing not always the easiest thing to accomplish in that setting so um, it's a process and uh, some of those guys are the best compensators in the world and, and you, you find those things out real quick when you get to, when you get them in the weight room it doesn't mean they're not phenomenal athletes but um, so there, there are there are a lot of challenges but at the same time um, it can be very rewarding to work with with those guys and um, but it's not always as, as glamorous as everyone uh, sees it to be they're still humans uh they're they're still uh they're still guys that uh, ha have a level of expectation about getting better and, and your job is still the same regardless of uh where where they're at it's uh, great it's, it's always good to hear the other side of it because i think people see it uh on game day or see right. it on the sideline oh that guy is so cool he's got right. the best job but, <laughs> right all the work's been done by then <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, no, I really appreciate it, man. It's been great having you on, and we had some really great topics on here. So I really look forward to people being able to hear this. Um, for the, anyone out there listening to this, if they want to reach out to you, how do they get in contact after this? Um, pretty simple. I mean, you can always look us up just uh, webpage. I mean, authenticperformancecenter.com um, or I mean, I, I'm like I said, I was, I'm really receptive. I try and do my best to get back to people. Uh, you can email me at just joel at authenticperformancecenter.com. Uh, I'm never shy about giving that information away. I think my phone number is probably on there somewhere as well. So uh, if if I can help, I mean, we just had our, our TSAT conference last week and I always tell people, I said, hey, you know, if there's something I can help in, in terms of uh, improving what you do or, or giving input or feedback or whatever, uh, I'm always, I always try and do my best to, to be on the other end of that because I know that for me, I'm constantly doing doing the same thing with other guys that uh, I, I need help from. So Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for all you do for the profession. I appreciate, appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.